This is the Lotox Life Podcast. If all the birds could fly right now, as high as me somehow, they could see all the things I've been dreaming of. These wings of mine flutter inside, they shimmy and they glide, breaking forth, crack the shell from this clockwork light. Hello and welcome to the Lotox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show 265. I have the wonderful Mark Harima on the show today, who is the founder of Air Carbon, and this is a plastic replacement solution technology. So you might remember I had Dr. Veena Sajwala on the show a couple of years ago, who is an Aussie scientist who uh, created green steel. So steel made from recycled rubber tires. And that story was just so inspiring to me. And I think when I'm on the lookout for guests for the show and thinking about pioneers and founders, the founders that I bring on the show to talk to uh, about and with uh, for you guys are people who are really breaking boundaries in areas where uh, business can be a force for change and technology can actually be a positive force for the environment, moving us away from old technologies that have unfortunately harmed us and the planet in various ways. And one such thing that I've come across recently is this air carbon. Now, Mark is a scientist also, and he uh, co-founded New Light Technologies in 2003. And you'll hear the story of uh, a lot of very scrape it all together, bootstrapping years to try and get this through. And he had a vision of using greenhouse gas as a resource to make high-performance sustainable materials. Uh, I am definitely not the person to describe how that works. Mark can do that himself on today's show. And I really grilled him for the tough questions around biodegradability, uh, harm to wildlife, uh, impacts, etc. And uh, for me, this passes with... Um, with, oh God, what is that expression? With shining colours? I hope so. My husband always makes fun of me. I've got a French mum and so expressions aren't my forte because I've kind of grown up speaking two languages. <laughs> so I often get them wrong, like I slept like a tree, uh, which is one that my husband likes to bring up all the time and still laugh at me about. Anyway, massive tangent, completely nothing to do with today's show. But what I'm excited about with Air Carbon is it is a genuine plastic replacement solution they're already using it in like picnic wear, cutlery, etc., fashion products. There's some really exciting uh, collaborations happening. And uh, in 2016, uh, Mark's company, New Light, was awarded the Presidential Green Chemistry Challenge Award by the U.S. EPA. Uh, so Mark graduated magna cum laude from Princeton University, has since garnered over 15 years of experience in process engineering, polymer functionalization, and strategic business development. And I'm really quite excited about this and what it signifies. And one of the things that we talk about is uh, ethics and philosophy around uh, growth and where to get lots of money from to grow and how we can do that responsibly responsibly. 
uh, it, w- it was a really, really interesting conversation. So I know you guys are going to love it. I'm going to jump into that in a little second. But I just want to remind you, it is December. So we have some fantastic offers. Walida is giving you 20% off all Walida products. Free skin food of 75 mils with orders over $100 and free shipping for orders over $50. Express shipping for orders over $99, which you might need given it's Christmas next week. So um, that is a fantastic offer. It is definitely time to restock. As you guys know, Walita is one of my favorite brands for people and for planet with incredible farming partnerships all around the world in biodynamic uh, education and farming reviving all sorts of wonderful uh, local economies all around the world and producing very well-priced products for what they do uh, in terms of how they perform. And uh, one of my favorite things, which is Arnica, a homeopathic product uh, used to treat inflammation, bruising, swelling, and it's really kind of the go-to for all things French first aid, uh, which I've always known about on the French side of my family, but I was thrilled to connect with Walida many years ago and see that I could have uh, Arnica here and still use it um, even if I wasn't able to get it from one of my aunties in France. So uh, huge fan of the pomegranate firming facial range, uh, what else do I love? The Calendula Baby Range uh, and the new hydrating cream with the prickly pear cactus extract is fabulous. You really do still feel hydrated on your skin the morning after you've used it before going to bed. Uh, and yet it's a really light, non-greasy texture. So those are a few of my favorites to look out for. Of course, you might have favorites, stock up on those. Next offer is the wonderful Oz Climate People are back, giving you 10% off with the code LOWTOXLIFE for all their dehumidifiers and air filters. You have heard me speak time and again about how important air filtration is in city environments and if you are bushfire prone uh, or agricultural environments where you know synthetic inputs and chemicals are being used such as herbicides and pesticides an air filter can make all the difference to your indoor air experience Uh, most of the ways we are polluted is from the time we spend inside So give the guys a call at OzClimate. Their website is ozclimate.com.au. The code is LOWTOXLIFE for your 10% off. Uh, And have a chat about your room sizes, configurations, talk through whether you might need an air filter, but also dehumidification if you live somewhere humid or if you live in a building that you notice you have things like condensation or mustiness happening often in cupboards and living spaces, you could have a humidity issue and dehumidification is the simplest fix. Uh, Their dehumidifiers are amazing, super powerful. They have different types depending on your climate. So once again, I suggest that you just give them a buzz. They're a lovely, friendly team and can help you out with what's going to work for your house type, room configurations, square meterage, all of that jazz. So thank you again to Oz Climate for providing Lotoxes with that awesome offer. And then I have a third offer starting today, and this will run through to the end of January from Coolsy. So you would have heard me interview Professor James Trevelyan a couple of weeks ago, who has completely disrupted air conditioning. I am fascinated by this invention. Uh, We have one of these ourselves. It's awesome. 
I haven't had to use it much this year yet because summer hasn't really kicked into gear here in Sydney. But Coolsy is something that can help you save 75% on cooling costs. It's convenient. It's quiet, not like air and noisy air conditioners. Uh, very energy efficient, portable at 17 kilos, eco-friendly, and you can use it in your bedroom or home office situation to stay cool, take a few degrees off, much healthier solution for the planet when you think about the amount of energy and the refrigerants that are used in standard air conditioning solutions. Uh, And as James says, they're all about cooling people, not buildings. Uh, So it's really much more targeted cooling and uh, an incredible way to reduce your energy costs over the summer and to wake up refreshed. You know, he talked about, and if you haven't heard the show that we did together, he talked about the way that he came up with the idea that it might be important to disrupt air conditioning, which was spending time in Pakistan, where his wife's from, and learning about the unbelievable inefficiencies in the workplace caused by people who are fatigued from heat and not getting a good night's sleep in hot climates. And I know, growing up in Mauritius, how exhausting it can be to not get a good night's sleep when it's 30 degrees, 35 degrees in the middle of the night in the hot summer months. And uh, I can tell you, I would have very much appreciated this technology back then. So if that is interesting to you, it's an incredible product. Uh, if you have avoided using air conditioning because of the environmental impact or because of the cost implication of either setting one up or keeping one running, uh, and of course we know that they often tend to become contaminated with mould, uh, then I would definitely check Coolsy out. So the website is www.coolsy.com. Uh, check out the story. Uh, It needs no water, no exhaust hosing, no installation, no mess. Um, You can be cool and comfortable and literally just plug it in and go. And you have 50% off the tent that can go around your bed to make it super cool. And you have free shipping. So even if you don't need the tent or don't think you want one because your bed size is different, um, then you'll still get that free shipping all across Australia and your code is LOWTOX. That is it. Those are the Christmas offers. So I hope uh, something in there appeals and is going to help you make a low-tox swap uh, a little easier on your pocket. And here we're now going into a wonderful extra invention uh, with the fantastic Mark Harima talking about air carbon and how we might be able to say goodbye to plastics real soon. Enjoy. Hello, Mark. How are you? Good, Alex. Good to be with you. It's wonderful to have you here. Uh, I was thinking about past show guests when I was writing my questions to you. I thought these are eerily similar to the questions I was drafting for the incredible Australian uh, who invented green steel, uh, Dr. Vina um, Sajwala here in, in Australia. And I think it's so exciting to be in a time where green chemistry is really coming into its own and we're starting to see that chemicals aren't bad per se because, of course, hello, everyone drinks water. And I'm always trying to tell people living a chemical-free life is not the aim here, people, Um, but that we can actually invent and um, harness the power of uh, green chemistry to create a better future. And it's come such a long way in the last 10, 15 years. And what you guys are doing is truly exciting. So 
Um, I would love to chat to you about how you became interested personally in green chemistry uh, through your studies and what led you to then think, I'm going to be an inventor? Like, was that a thing or was that a, a happy accident? Um, I think it was uh, mostly a happy accident. So um, what, what kind of got me started was I got really sick when I was in college. Now, I, I had had plenty of, uh, uh, like my favorite class in high school was um, AP Environmental Science. So I've, I've always loved how nature works and you have beautiful chemistry in nature i mean the chemistry of, of what makes up uh i mean gosh everything how a leaf works what those chemical processes are that pulls carbon out of the air and turns it into a sugar and grows this gorgeous tree you know how the body works how all these processes so chemistry for me is just, just absolutely gorgeous science um unfortunately uh when i was a junior in, in college I got really sick and um, the, the, I saw like seven or eight doctors over the course of a year. Nobody could figure out what was going on with my body. Uh, I lost a ton of weight, chronic fatigue syndrome, um, just super tired and uncomfortable all the time. Um, and eventually they told me I had internal bleeding and here are some iron supplements. So that frustrated me. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh my gosh. So I started wow. to do it a bunch of research and I was in sort of research mode and um, uh, it turned out later found out that I had celiac um, mm -hmm. but back, back then this is 18 years ago it was fairly underdiagnosed um, but in the course of that that journey um, you know one of the symptoms of celiac is your digestive system more or less falls apart and um, so I was reading the Los Angeles Times newspaper and came across this article talking about methane emissions from cows. Well, for someone who is desperately searching for any solution to digestive problems, as I saw this article on methane from cows, there was a correlation I was interested. So I read the article. Uh, and there were two very interesting things in this article. One was, it turns out that methane is from burps. Didn't know that. Um, second was that it, it turned out each cow, each dairy cow was burping about 600 liters of methane per day. Well, you know, we talk about so many environmental things in this very like abstract way, right? It's just these yeah, we pull it apart and make something bad, and yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. But the, so this, because it was a distinctive number, uh, I had this thought of like, well, what does that mean in terms of value? And there's a market price for methane. So do some quick math, and it turns out that each cow burps about twenty dollars in methane per year. In today's prices, it's actually much higher. But so that if you have a thousand cow farm, that's $20,000 of uh, value into the air. And so the thought occurred to me, you know, nature is effectively using green chemistry all day, every day to take greenhouse gas and use it as a resource to make things. Uh, you know, that's coral grows by pulling carbon out of the water. Trees grow by pulling carbon out of the air. There's whole communities in the ocean that are built off of methane. Um, and so instead of taxing carbon or bearing carbon, which there's plenty of value in those things, what if we could do what nature does and use it as a resource? And so I've always been interested in this idea of like consumer driven pathways to solving ESG type problems. So I called up a buddy and said, hey, I think there's a different way that people could look at greenhouse gas. Um, and in the, in the course of our initial work, we discovered that there are these microorganisms naturally occurring microorganisms in the ocean 
that eat greenhouse gas as their food source. And when they do that, one of the things that they make inside of cells is this really incredible molecule called PHP. Now we're all making PHP in our bodies right now as humans, all the plants behind you, they're all making PHP as well. Basically almost everything alive makes PHP. And what's crazy is it turns out that if you extract it, it's meltable. Well, if it's meltable, now you can use it to replace plastic, but because it's in all these living things, nature understands it. So it can reconsume it like a banana peel or a tree leaf. Um, and when it's made in nature, it's made in a carbon negative way because it's sequestering carbon. So we were sort of like, whoa, this is really cool. Um, how do we replicate what happens in the ocean on land? And um, that was a 10-year journey to figure out how to, to, to do that. Um, and that's, so that's the super long-winded way of, yeah. that's where we started. <laughs> and did you have seed funding to like, you can't just kind of check out of society for 10 years, like a crazy scientist and um, magic money to make stuff happen. Like, how did you actually get started? Well, we definitely didn't have magic money, but we did check out of society. Yes. <laughs> so scientist. you did do that. Yeah. Um, so we started super bootstrap. I mean, we, after graduating uh, from college, I was a valet, uh, I was a bellhop and our co-founder Kent was a valet. Um, and then at night we would drive to this, this laboratory that allowed us to use some of their space. And so we started working these microorganisms, searching for microorganisms, finding what could, could do what we were looking to do. Um, after about a year of just, you know, funding off of these sort of odd jobs that we were taking, we raised our first round of capital and it was friends and family. And Hey, we've got some lab data and we got a cool idea. What do you think? And, you know, very small check sizes, um, um, but it added up to an amount that we could build a pilot plant. And then that was our cave. I mean, we spent, um, I think about seven years on the pilot side, just building progressively bigger and bigger systems to try to figure out how to make this thing work. And look, a lot of it didn't work. Um, and those, those were pretty long years and we were checked out from society. We had no website, no public interaction. We were working basically as many hours as our bodies would, would allow us. Um, and uh, there were no government funds at all. Um, no, no grants or, or loans or anything like that. It was just a progress progression on, on capital raising to, you know, based off of what we were doing. Um, mm. And so you end up with air carbon. So let's actually talk about the product itself as it is now and where you got to. Yeah, so um, we discovered that we could make this molecule. We needed to figure out how we could make it um, in a way that was uh, cost-effective and, and good performance. But that was about a decade of work, uh, progressively bigger and bigger pilot lines. And, and then finally in 2013, August 2013, um, we had gotten the technology to a point where we could scale it. And so we went from a roughly 10-foot-tall reactor to about a 50-foot-tall reactor at that point, we finally had enough material to bring it to market, tell people what it was and, and, and why we were excited about it. So basically, this molecule is uh, it's a biomaterial. It's made in almost all living things. Um, and it has these unique features of being degradable in environmental conditions. So we've had it certified third party in soil degradability, fresh water, um, ocean. Um, you know, basically, it's as degradable as any other organic material. But because we use renewable power and greenhouse gas, the way that we make it is a net carbon negative process. So we went out and got that certified by SCS, Carbon Trust. 
We now use IBM blockchain tracking to track all of our carbon inputs and outputs. Um, and so, you know, the, the, the vision and the mission is to use that to replace plastics in, in, a, in a large way. Um, and that's what we're doing with Air Carbon today. On a performance basis, it, it, it resembles one of the largest volume plastics in the world, polypropylene. Um, so there's a lot of stuff we can do with it, but we took a step back and said, all right, where, where can we create the most value today? And if you look at what's ending up in the oceans, um, most of it is either fishing equipment or foodware. And so we said, all right, well, let's start by making an impact on the foodware space, um, trying to get plastic out of that space. And so last year we started to launch straws, cutlery, things that um, you don't have to throw them away. Turns out the way nature makes a molecule, it's uh, dishwasher safe. You can reuse it over and over again. Um, but if it does happen to leak into the environment, the environment knows what to do with it and sees it as a food source. Um, so that's our, our main. Wow. Focus. So it's completely compostable. This is a molecule. It can't make microplastics. Um, so what happens is, and we've got, there's a really cool, uh, so we do lots of ocean testing with this to show how long it takes to go away. Um, as an example, um, the Chico state foundation did a study showing our straw, um, so our straw goes away about 15 days in a wastewater treatment plant, um, in the ocean, it took about a year, um, which is comparable to kind of what a leaf would do in cold, low microorganism environments. And as, as part of this, we've got a whole bunch of tests running. And so we took a sample recently, it's on our conference table and you got this ocean water and at the bottom is, is our straw. And, um, as it's been sitting there over time, the straw is actually creating these, these bubbles. And what's happening is microorganisms are eating that and then evolving it off as uh, water and carbon dioxide as it's, as it's breaking it down and consuming it. Um, so it doesn't create little pieces that last forever. That's, that's microplastics. And the reason that those pieces never go away is because plastic is a synthetic material that doesn't exist in nature. So nature doesn't know how to eat it. So it'll break down into all these little parts, but those parts never go away. It's massively frustrating and extremely scary. <laughs> but, it's very scary. Yes. But that's yeah. one of the things that we like about air carbon is it, it's a food source in nature. So it doesn't create these long-term microplastics. Yeah. Got it. And so there's obviously still a small danger of uh, wildlife being affected then in the period that it still exists in oceans or you know what I mean? Like uh, a, a whale swallowing it or, or things like that. Um, well, I, I think any rigid part, like mm. you don't want someone to eat it. Right. So yeah. if you imagine a, I wouldn't want to eat one of our forks because like any <laughs> yeah. organic material, whether that was a, a, a twig or whatever. Yeah. Um, so we don't recommend eating it, but look, I mean, I think you make a good point, which is we don't want anything to end up in the oceans at all. Period. Yeah. Well, we need to change human behavior on that front. Um, right. So mm. now if, if, if you could snap your fingers and within a few years, all plastic would be biologically degraded, that would be a beautiful thing. So there's a lot less opportunity for life, that stuff. But, um, but yeah, it does start with, let's make sure things don't end up in the ocean at all. And, and there's another really interesting feature about this stuff. So because it degrades uh, and you can put it in a wastewater treatment plant, it will come back off as biogas which is exactly wow. what, that's what we use to make mm. the material. So if you can imagine 
So with our next plant, we're building enough anaerobic digester capacity to be able to take back all of the material that we make, mm-hmm. digest it back into greenhouse gas, and then use that to make more product. So you're that, creating a, a full closed loop system. That's right. So Very cool. If you think about like, why doesn't recycling work today? Well, I don't know about you, but I get to the airport and I see trash, recycle, compost, landfill. And I'm like, I am really trying here, but like, <laughs> where, does, where does this go? Um, and, and we all face that. I, you know, I go to, I go to a fast food place and I look in and there's a bin that says recycle and trash. And I see the exact same cup on both sides of that bin. Cause most people don't know that a cup is a paper product lined with plastic. So what is that? Is that recyclable? Nope. Is it compostable? Nope. <laughs> so which bin do you put it in? Um, and so imagine going into a store and everything that was served to you was either food or something as degradable as food. And then it's just a one bin solution. Everything goes in there. Everything degrades naturally through biological degradation. And we can use that as a feedstock for the next thing. So that's part of how we get excited about making sure stuff doesn't end up in the ocean to begin with. Yeah, brilliant. Um, And so you said it was comparable to polypropylene. Uh, That's great because it's obviously a highly used plastic. Uh, Do you see any future for being able to replace things like food packaging, you know, the soft plastics that say crackers get wrapped in or um, what was the, like drink bottles and things, or does it sit more in between those two? Oh, we, we definitely do. I mean, there's a pretty wide performance range that we can do with this stuff. Um, you know, we recently announced a, a, a partnership with Nike to explore the use of air carbon in their products. And one of the things that we make is a synthetic leather product. Um, and uh, we're able to develop a pretty wide range of properties. With that said, one of the biggest challenges that we have is just material limitation. These market sizes are so big. And so uh, we could spend the next many decades just being in flexible packaging. We've decided to start with foodwares. Um, as we get bigger, we'll move into things like flex wraps and uh, all the other things that, I mean, usually on a day-to-day basis, my biggest frustration, like the hair pullout is like, we just can't, it's so big. We have such little time and we, it's hard to imagine a world where we're growing fast enough to, to meet that. Uh, so those are applications that we do intend to get into, but right now the focus is on, is on foodware. Foodware, of course. And uh, have you done any calculations on like, if we get to X amount of production, if we can take over X market, this is how much, uh, how much of an environmental benefit we're going to have. Like surely that's part of your investor pitches, I guess, um, to, to share that dream. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's a couple of places that that we address one is plastic and and the other is carbon. So on the plastic side, our, our big dream and our big vision is right now we have 20 billion pounds per year of of plastic flowing into the ocean. Incredibly sad, but that that's roughly that amount. So our goal is to get up to 20 billion pounds per year in production and over the next seven years, launch over 90% of the product types that currently end up in the ocean to show that we can turn this off. Like this material can replace plastic and the spigot can turn off. Like, and so it's going to be a hugely long and, and arduous road to get to 20 billion pounds of output. Yeah, it will. But it's possible. This is a trillion, it's coming up on a trillion pound industry. So 20 billion is actually relatively small. 
Um, and so we think we can have a major, I mean, imagine for a second, if uh, there was a, a, either by consumer demand or corporate mandate or legislative mandate, something that said, uh, anything that touches your food has to be as degradable as food. Simple as that. That one thing alone would have a massive shift in the industry. And we think our material can help enable that. So um, uh, that's our vision on the plastic side. On the carbon side, you know, we're, we're, we're now making products that have a carbon negative uh, platform. So our, our vision is to progressively work our way through different industries. We've, we've started with, um, you know, eyewear and, and leather goods and it seems almost silly because it's so niche, but you got to start somewhere. And, and um, you know, we want to show that you can flip the script. You know, these, you know, we talk about regenerative a lot here. Regenerative agriculture is a just a tremendously wonderful thing. Like imagine the activities that we have are, are restoring the world. Um, you know, it, it, this is a process that if you could, if you could take fashion and make it a force for good on carbon, then you take one of the most polluting industries, at least from a carbon standpoint and, and flip that. It's a vision that's going to take a long time to come to fruition. But when I hold, you know, an air carbon leather wallet in my hand, I know it's possible. Mm. And now we've got a whole lot of work to do to, to really scale it out. Yeah, absolutely. Can I ask an ethical question? And you can no comment this, but uh, it happens a lot, right? So super smart people like yourself develop something amazing. Then you get to a point where you actually need to grow exponentially to get it uh, around the world. And then like, let's say a big petroleum company comes in and says, we'll buy your company and keep you on as directors for like 10 years um, for all the money that you need to roll this out. Like, what do you do? Because obviously you start a business like you start because you have a vision for a better world. And that's incongruent with the, the fossil fuel economy that got us to where we are. But I also recognize, you know, you have to be critical thinking that there are certain companies who have the money to actually make these things normal. And I always find it interesting, the founder struggle in, is it growth of this technology so that it's everywhere? Or will my ethics stop me from actually realizing that growth because I can't align with those people? Like, that must be something that comes up in your mind. Yeah, it's it's definitely a a question that that friends have have batted around over the years. Um, you know, I I'm I take a little bit of pride in trying not to demonize uh, industries in the, in the sense that, um, like, take plastic as an example. Plastic is doing so much bad in the world today. With that said, it has also been one of the big forces behind so much economic growth. More hygiene downweighting less carbon compared to a lot of other you know glass or metal things like that so it's done a lot of good and there's a lot of fair and honest people in, in those industries it's just that it's doing bad and we need to start to find different ways to you know transition away um, so when i look at things like you know a question is how will you or or how would you work with you know uh, big plastic oil and gas um my my view is that you know, we see something right now on the energy side where solar and wind are starting to become cost effective enough where big energy companies are putting in more of that than they are of the fossil fuel uh, capacity. And that's because you got to a point where you made it so compelling for them. 
where they just said, this makes more, more sense. Yeah. What I want to do with, with air carbon is something similar where, you know, a big oil company who would traditionally make a certain kind of plastic would say, well, we could put that capacity in, or we could license uh, air carbon technology, which people want more and is better for the environment. We went all around. Um, and, and for me, that's kind of like striking at, at, at the core, right? Cause you make a good point that what if we could ally those very, very big forces towards a common cause Um that's that's a great vision. Now, the practical mm-hmm. <laughs> is that um, I, you know I don't know when or how that that happens or if it happens. And if you look at something like Tesla, um, the reason Tesla is is reshaping the landscape is because they got so big so fast. And frankly, I think they scared the heck out of all these other guys, and they all said, "Okay, we got to keep up." Um, and so that's the the path that we're taking, which is effectively we're going to go as fast and as hard as we can and put as much new air carbon capacity in place as we can. And if partnerships and opportunities open up along the way, fantastic, but we're not sitting around waiting for that. Mm, Brilliant. Um, And so you are based in Southern uh, South of LA right now. Do you have other production plants across America yet, or is that still to come too? Um, we have two facilities here in, in uh, Southern California. We just signed an MOU to build a, a site, a new site on the East Coast of the U.S. Oh, great. So uh, that's going to be our next uh, expansion location. Um, and, you know, our, our vision is to start dotting the landscape, both U.S. and international, but um, step by step. Yeah, nice. And so how do we as everyday people get behind this new kid on the block? Like what is the pathway for us to, is it about letting our local government representatives know that we want to see more of this or um, because the world and the way it is, there's just such a small group of players that influence policy and politics in industry right now. And it almost feels like uh, one of the hardest things to do is to actually knock on that door and say, no, uh, we want change. Uh, how do we help you get bigger as everyday peeps? Uh, it's a good question. I mean, I think I'll shamelessly plug ourselves for, for a second. <laughs> Please do. Yes. We, we, we do have product. Um, we have the world's only carbon negative you know, eyewear and leather goods and they're available right now. And so if you want to be a part of that, um, we've got a website called covalentfashion.com. And we launched that, um, I think about, on, uh, about a year ago. Oh, great. Um, we'll put it in the show notes. Cool. Um, so that, that's one thing is, is, you know, we're hoping people can show that, yes, we do want carbon negative products are, are compelling to us. We think that that's cool and, and that carries its own momentum. And then we have foodware uh, in the U.S. They're carried in every target. Um, and so it's the world's, I think, only uh, carbon negative regenerative, you know, foodware. Um, and people can use that, buy that. Not surprisingly, most of my uh, kitchen is filled with air carbon foodware that I just, you know, reuse over and over again. Um, I think beyond that, you know, talking to your, your you know, emailing just your favorite restaurant and saying, hey, why aren't you guys carrying air carbon like enough of the plastic? Um, all of that creates demand that that helps us grow. Yeah, brilliant. I love that. Um, and I wanted to ask a, a philosophical question kind of around productization. 
uh, you know, we were watching COP26, kind of bitterly disappointed, really. It was just same old, same old, same people, same private jets. And you kind of think, well, where's the environmentalism here? Um, and uh, I heard so much talk about this productization of the food supply. So productization of meat into synthetic protein, for example, when cows could actually play an incredible role in regenerative farming, uh, you know, that earns less money. The productization element is what actually creates the industry. And uh, are we heading into a, a space where we actually have the opportunity to productize and protect jobs and create jobs for all these humans on the planet? Because we do need that. Um, but actually starting to do it for good productization. So it's not just for profit. Of course, profit's important to a company's success, but it's for the greater good. And it's really taking, almost taking social entrepreneurship into a large scale conversation, really. Mm. Um, so I, your question around productization, is it, um, is it the use of is it the consumer society that 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 is something that we should consider or help me understand what you're um yeah yeah okay cool um <laughs> sometimes i waffle and then i go was there a question in there oh no mark couldn't find it either there you go um <laughs> so i guess like if we think of stuff right we think the environmental solution is actually to use less stuff like to actually use our dinnerware again and again to bring our own stuff to the restaurant and then wash it at home. Um, but in doing that, we actually sabotage jobs and companies. And I, I'm very um, reconnaissant of the, the very real impact of us just today to tomorrow, stopping the use of stuff, stopping buying things, um, I feel like there needs to be a just transition conversation around that and how do we actually um, keep people in workforces. Um, I, I just find it really interesting in this time where you're actually then showing us actually we can create companies that do less harm than good, that give more back to the planet than they take uh, and create jobs. Uh, it's it's exciting. That, that, that was our number one premise was um, if we could make products that people were going to use anyway, um, but they're good for the environment, then now all of a sudden you have a, a system where the things that we were going to do, our everyday things are actually part of environmental remediation. I think regenerative agriculture is a great example of this, um, where, but with just some relatively simple modifications, we can totally change our impact. For what we want to do is create the tools for that, right? So where you could go to uh, a target, pick up a set of reusable cutlery, and not only does the cutlery, can that be reused, you know, and you don't have to go through uh, single use products, but also just the cutlery itself wasn't just, you're not just buying stuff that's hurting the world, but that, that, that cutlery itself actually had some level of environmental remediation. Um, so I think finding that that middle ground is, is really kind of what, I think it's, it, I don't want to say it's the only way, but it just seems to me that we've been so stuck for so like decades. Right. Um, and if we can find the, the, like those areas where we agree on, it's like, all right, we're not going to legislate that you can no longer use a fork. Right. Like, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, 
<laughs> but if, if we as society can create tools where that fork is good for the world, um, then I think that's that middle ground space of, okay, we can make this work. As far as, you know, the impact of less usage, you know, um, economic growth is actually driven by an increase in disposable income. In other words, if, if, if your cost of living is um, reduced by virtue of using less stuff, um, you now have more disposable income to do whatever, buy other things, invest in things, whatever. And that, that's, the, in my view, the fundamentals of, of true economic growth. So I think that the environment, if there is an environmental contraction on use of different products and materials, I don't see that as a net job loser. In fact, you're creating uh, longer term economic growth. So it might be short term painful and we have to acknowledge that and, and work on the retraining and all the transition things. Um, but anytime that society gains new efficiencies, which is where I think ultimately the green movement goes, um, that engenders long term growth. My, Absolutely. My... Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Uh, and so what are you most excited about as we wrap up this conversation? Like you look to the future, you're seeing inventions all over the place right now. You're probably having some really interesting conversations. Is there anything we haven't seen yet that maybe you're seeing and, and it's, and it's super exciting to be a part of this new founder community of new generation companies? Uh, I've seen so many things that um are incredibly exciting and then i couple that with like um i don't know if the word is restless or anxious or whatever but i'm, I'm also I, I was at cop 26 and one of my favorite parts of that was you know i was i was part of the uh, protest marches on on friday and saturday i was actually uh pretty close to greta when she spoke and um you know one of the things that is clear is that there is a common sense that we are straight up running out of time. Um, and so I have this weird combination of just the most ridiculous, silly amount of excitement. I, I just nerd out over, over new stuff and what it can do. Uh, but on the other hand, I'm also incredibly frustrated because we have to do it so much faster. Um, and, and I think the world is really, I mean, in the past two years alone, you have seen such a shift in demand and how that's translated to the corporate side not yet really the legislative side, but certainly it's, it's moving. Um, so it's like the clock is ticking. So yes, super excited, but let's move. <laughs> let's move indeed. Uh, I think one of the most powerful things we can do is to really start looking at the pedigree of who we vote for, like at a very deep level. Um, in Australia, we have the opportunity to vote for independent candidates. We don't just have to choose parties. Um, which is really exciting because independent candidates are way less likely to be influenced by industry. Um, and, you know, it's been really interesting through COVID times seeing a lot more people get politically engaged either way, um, which I think will only end up being a positive because we realise we are a part of the conversation politically. Um, but it also pains me that they don't have the context of things like Citizens United that happen in the States, which really very much... Um, ricocheted around the world in terms of how much influence an industry can have on a politician and how they vote. Uh, and I, I, I love that Robin Williams quote of, I really wish politicians could walk around like NASCAR drivers, like who they're sponsored by. Um, <laughs> because I feel like uh, that would help us all vote much more easily. But how are you feeling as an American um, 
in this time. Like you have lots of levels of government you can vote for over there. Uh, and I feel like we opt out of politics because we're all jaded by it as greenies or people who care about the environment but this is absolutely the time that we need to stand up and have conversations with people even considering running for any kind of office so that they know how we feel and how frustrated we all are yeah I I care deeply about politics um I know it's very easy to be jaded about politics certainly in, in in the U.S. um it is so combative that you you always want to step back and say all right you guys um but but that's not going to work right because we uh collective action is 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 you know a that's how we get stuff done and um i personally think that the the impact and influence of of the sort of intra-party fighting is um, one of the worst forces that we have in society, at least in American society today, because I couldn't agree more. We have it here too. It's like, it's like America light basically. Well, what, what happens is we, we we're unable to focus on the one thing that we're all desperately craving, which is just solutions. Just sit in a room and think about like, what makes sense? Let's do the math, right? Like, let's just take um, Social Security as an example. So Social Security is something that's designed to help older people as they move into retirement age. Now, one could argue that that's a quote unquote socialist system, but there is a mathematical point where some level of Social Security actually makes the economy the most efficient for, for a variety of reasons. That's not a, that's, there's no ideologies associated with that. It's just literally what's the best thing for society. And I bet if you just got a whole bunch of normal people in a room and said, all right, listen, we got this problem. What do you want to do about it? And we came and said, where's the place where we all agree? Okay, that, all right, let's do it. But the problem with the the combative politics is that no one's allowed to let the other person be right on anything. And, And so it's, I think it's, as much as climate change is, is a massive issue, I think our political systems, um, they, 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 really, they, they really need to be improved. Um, uh, you know, categorically, democracy is the only, in my view, morally justifiable political system on planet Earth. Um, how do we make democracies more efficient and, and get them to, to work better? And, and I think figuring out how to make party politics less dominant is super important. Um, and if you can find a, a way to get it where it's, we're not voting for parties, we're voting for ideas. Yeah. And I think we can make progress on so many of the areas that, that we really care about. hundred um, percent. Thank you for going there on politics. I think it's something we need to talk more about, not shy away from. So I really appreciate your, your opinion on that. Um, and I agree. So I, I'm very excited about your technology. We are going to link everything in the show notes so people can learn more. Uh, and, uh, and I'd love to just ask you one final personal question. What does your day look like regeneratively? What are, you, what are some of the little things that you could pull out for us that, that you consider to be important as a human today in your habits? Okay. Well, my, my first thought was I generally have like 12 to 14 meetings a day. So usually when people ask, <laughs> that's not very regenerative. <laughs> no, no. When people ask me about my, my, my day, I have to like, look at my phone. Well, what did I do today? 
Um, um, you know, I've tried to build in more healthy habits, like, um, waking up in the morning and, and trying to, to exercise, uh, you know, do some breathing visualization. I found that that's, um, really helpful for me. Um, finding little, little breaks and at least for me, they're, they're pretty small, but you know, just a, just a, a little piece of time for yourself, whether it's eating lunch or going for a small walk or something. Uh, and then I, for me, getting out in nature is just like critical. Um, I've reconnected with surfing. I, I used to do that a lot in my deep new light cave days. I, I didn't do it as much, but I'm getting back into that. And I think it's important to remind ourselves what we're fight, what we're fighting for. Um, and for me, being out in the water is um, a way to do that. So I don't know. I Look, I, I think there's so many metaphors with, with environmental remediation, but uh, not the least of which is that there is a very personal connection. And the way that we treat ourselves then emanates to how we treat each other and, and our bigger environment. And so I think if you start treating yourself better, you become healthier, and then you want to see that in bigger and bigger spheres, including the environment. So, you know. I think it starts there. I haven't always been great at that. I'm trying to get better. <laughs> well, I think if we admit none of us are perfect, then that's a really nice shame-free starting point, right? Yeah. Well, thank you, Mark. Uh, beautiful to speak to you. Really, really excited about what you're doing and wish you all the best. Thank you so much. Thank great to meet you and thanks for having me. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed today's interview. And I want to remind you that you can come join me on social on Instagram at Lotox Life or one word or my personal Instagram uh, at underscore Alex with two X's Stuart S-T-U-A-R-T. On Facebook, you can find us at Lotox Life. Uh, and of course, lowtoxlife.com. And if you want additional support and community around leading a low-tox life, I can't recommend a better thing to do than to come join us at the Low Tox Club for just $49 Australian per year, which is about $29.30 US, about €27 and about £25. You get a stack of club member perks and the benefit of a beautiful private Facebook community. So check out the website, lowtoxlife.com, hit the explore tab and you'll see join the Lotox Club as your very first option there. I hope to see you in there. If not, I will see you in our wider community sometime soon. Thanks again for tuning in.